Hey folks, just me again today. Casey is busy doing some data viz and edits for some more upcoming videos. I had to go put a new shirt on, burning up here, and I thought it'd be good to freshen up before we talk about Intel. Uh, this is starting to feel like a bit of a dead horse. Not the business itself, of course. I want to explain to you a big reason why we actually might begin getting interested in investing in Intel. What would need to happen at Intel to move us off of the sideline finally? There were some big announcements made last week that we think are the beginning of Intel's actual rebound strategy. Oh, Intel's not the dead horse. It's more the topic that Intel's business is struggling that's the dead horse that keeps getting beat here by us at Chipstock Investor. But let me explain to you what's going on what would need to happen for us to invest in Intel. And in the meantime, I'm gonna give you four alternative chip manufacturing stocks that we think are a better investment today than Intel is right now. Before continuing, let me remind you to hit the like button and subscribe to the channel if this video is helpful as you do your own investment research and increase your knowledge of business and technology. We really appreciate the support as subscribing to the channel helps us continue putting out content like this. It's probably no secret to you that Intel has been in a world of hurt for a couple of years, and it does look like things are beginning to make a bit of a rebound. Perhaps by the second half of 2023, Intel could be profitable again, but there is still a long uphill battle for this company because the stated goal for some time has been to double down on the manufacturing side of the business. For over a year now, and in particular on a different semiconductor investing show early in 2022, I said I thought the eventuality for Intel was it was going to split in two, much like advanced micro devices AMD did in 2009. It spun off Global Foundries, its manufacturing division, as a separate business. And by 2012, it had completely divested its equity stake in Global Foundries, and the two businesses are now completely separate, uh, unrelated, independent entities able to pursue their own independent fates. The world has changed even more since AMD made that very drastic decision over a decade ago. AMD basically took the rip the bandaid off fast approach. And I think Intel is taking the pull the bandaid off slowly approach here. But last week, they actually finally made some somber admissions about their business. And they're going to soon begin reporting their internal manufacturing business separate from the actual chip design business. Historically, what Intel has been what's called an IDM an integrated device manufacturer. Basically, they design and manufacture their own chips, and then they go out and market and sell those chips once they make them. You can see this internal foundry model, what Intel has begun calling IDM 1.0 on the left. And you can see the added complexity here with this business model. Basically, they had chip technology development really kind of tied up and integrated with manufacturing and IFS, Intel Foundry Services, kind of a, a reportable segment from those two things combined. 
And then it kind of separately flowed through to some external foundry customers and internal Intel business units. So here is how this is basically going to change. On the right, IDM 2.0, Intel going to bundle up its manufacturing as a separate unit and both its internal business units and external fabless customers are going to be treated as actual customers of manufacturing. This is a huge change for Intel and historically how it has operated. To date, most of the, of the customers, if you can call them customers for Intel manufacturing is its internal business units, the part of the business that actually designs the chips. But as Intel wants to go out and pursue these external fabless customers, these could be your NVIDIAs, your Broadcoms, even your AMDs, Intel's long-time competitor in the processor space, and so on and so forth. As they want to go out and woo some of these fabless customers, there is going to be increasing emphasis on making sure that that manufacturing arm is independent so that there's no conflict of interest with Intel's own chip design business. At the end of the day, what this really means for Intel shareholders, specifically those investors that might be betting on a big Intel turnaround story, is that we are now going to get some financial revelations into what that manufacturing business actually looks like because times have changed and an IDM has not been the best, most ideal business model for advanced chip manufacturing. IDM 1.0, Intel's decades of success, they were able to continuously progress new chip technology and roughly every two years quickly pivot to a better, more advanced manufacturing node. Because it was happening so quickly, uh, the company was able to plaster over uh, a lot of redundant costs and extra expenses. And despite maybe being less than perfectly efficient business, the company in good times and bad was highly profitable. Gross margins were in a bad year, still over 50%, and in a good year, well over 60%. But chip making has changed. As advanced chips continue to get more complex, exponentially much harder to manufacture, the costs involved with manufacturing these things have gone up dramatically. So there on the left, you can see the capital intensity, basically the amount of money that needs to be shelled out to manufacture each new node in chip technology is up a great deal just in the last few years alone. Other developments like chiplets and disaggregation, as computing systems get more complex, you need more than just, let's say, a processor, like Intel has historically been really, really good at. You now need a lot of different chips and different components. And so this disaggregation has led to some problems for Intel's internal manufacturing. Also, of course, uh, Intel has made some admissions in this presentation here that they've had some of their own missteps along the way that opened the door to Taiwan semiconductor manufacturing, currently far and away the largest advanced chip manufacturer and just chip manufacturer period in the world. 
you can see here on the right, uh, manufacturing process timing specifically with Intel's 10 nanometer node and beyond getting delayed really enabled TSMC to gain technology leadership. Some of, uh, what Intel is not saying in this presentation that I think is important to point out is while the, the company kind of sat fat and happy on its empire for decades, there was a huge army of fabulous chip designers out there dancing the semiconductor industry. And it just made sense for them to go out and tap independent third party like Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing. And as that chip manufacturing got more and more advanced, Intel kind of stagnated. They started to lose some of their cost efficiencies along the way. Meanwhile, TSMC and its army of chip design peers got huge. And so they were able to continue to drive profit margin efficiencies. So really what I'm saying here is what changed in the industry is that the IDM strategy, the integrated device manufacturer strategy, specifically for the most advanced chips out there, processors, your processors, not just CPUs, but also your GPUs, like what NVIDIA has been working on, really demand companies split up and focus on one very specific part of the process. So for a fabulous company, it's been chip design for TSMC, it's been just manufacturing. And then of course, in the middle, you have software companies that help with design, your synopsises, your cadence design systems, and then also the tools needed to actually manufacture those chips. So your applied materials and your ASML holdings, all of these companies focused on very specific specialties that enabled them to continue to advance while Intel sort of fell behind in this race as they tried to continue to be an IDM and do it all themselves. Intel still thinks this old strategy is going to work. They still think keeping their manufacturing and their chip design business units integrated is going to work, but they're going to separate them out financially to give more visibility into what's going on. And here's where things get really ugly. Historic IDM 1.0 business model, which has not been doing so great as of late. A hypothetical here, but I think this is roughly, I think perhaps maybe what Intel is signaling might be the case for 2024. But basically manufacturing kind of hidden behind these end business units and the cost allocation kind of all flows to these end business units for an ultimate 10% operating margin. But going forward, we're going to get some insight into the two separate businesses, IDM 2.0 manufacturing going to get split from the chip design business units. And the end result here is going to be uh, pretty ugly looking financials in particular for the manufacturing side, gross margins of just 9% and ultimately an operating margin, negative uh, 18%. That's suffice to say, pretty ugly, uh, not making any money here. Of course, they're going to sell the silicon wafers to the end business units and they'll turn a profit and we'll still ultimately end up with this hypothetical Intel that generates a 10% operating margin. The independent manufacturing behemoth 
Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, TSMC, is highly profitable. $75 billion in sales over the last 12 months alone. Intel basically said when they split out manufacturing as a separate business unit in 2024, they're only going to be doing about $20 billion in sales. So a very, very distant second place. Now, what they do think they'll be able to achieve by splitting out the financials separately is the manufacturing group and then the separate chip design business units will be able to sort of observe their financial metrics and drive efficiencies on their own, separate from each other. Over time, those independent chip design business units will also have increased flexibility to go out and use a third-party foundry, for example, TSMC, so like Intel's upcoming Meteor Lake processors, will actually use a combination of Intel's internal manufacturing and none other than TSMC. Uh, in fact, Intel CFO Dave Zinzer said on this presentation that uh, currently today, Intel actually uses about 20 to 25% of its manufacturing capacity. It, it's actually external. They actually go out and hire TSMCs for help. So over time, there actually might be an increasing amount of external chip making work that could result from the manufacturing arm gaining some independence uh, to not just count the Intel internal business units as customers, but also go out and woo big potential customers. But it's going to be an uphill battle. And I think Intel provided a pretty big hint that this was going to be the case. Their Intel manufacturing operating margin improving over time. You can see it eventually breaking even and then generating a profit margin. But you can tell here from the X and Y axis being left completely blank, there is no eventual operating margin target over the long term, and there is no timeline listed here. Hmm. The other thing Intel investors are still awaiting is a big new customer announcement for Intel Foundry Services. A very rough timeline of the company's product launches. You can see here uh, a new external customers being shown, uh, adding a big bump to the company's overall performance. But again, no timeline there. CFO Dave Zinzer did say they expect to announce a new customer by the end of the year, perhaps. That's NVIDIA. We've been getting some hints from NVIDIA CEO Jensen Wang that they're in talks with Intel and Intel has been making some compelling cases here. But it is going to be a tough sell. Not only do we not know who this customer is for sure, we also don't know how big of a customer they'll be. On Broadcom's latest earnings call, their CEO, Hock Tan, was asked this question about using Intel. And basically, he said, Intel coming in with a lower price is not going to be enough. They're very loyal to TSMC. Basically, at the end of the day, Intel manufacturing has a long, hard fight ahead of it to try to win over some of these customers. All right, uh, enough blabbing about Intel manufacturing. I promised to give you four stocks that I think are a better investment for the vast majority of investors right now. If you want to make a big bet on a chip manufacturing stock, you should probably start with TSMC, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing. I know 
way too easy, way too obvious, but the company is still growing. It's highly profitable. And they're still the de facto choice for basically every independent fabulous chip designer out there today, especially those that want to get into high-end, high-performance chips. Here's three more for you. First, Global Foundries. Yes, the company that used to be part of AMD, it IPO'd a few years ago after its own very long and hard battle as a private company after getting spun off from AMD. They made the difficult decision in 2018 to forego advanced chip manufacturing, and now they are solely focused on what we call mature chip manufacturing nodes. So think industrial applications, automotive, and such. Company has done very well in the last year. They seem to be managing the downturn in the chip market in late 2022 and 2023 quite well. They're profitable and improving their profit margins link to our last video on Global Foundries. Another company we have talked a lot about in recent months, On Semiconductor, ticker symbol ON. So this is actually an IDM, an integrated device manufacturer. The big difference here though, between this IDM and Intel's IDM, focusing on advanced chips, is On Semi focuses on, again, mature manufacturing nodes. That IDM strategy still works. There are still big benefits, we believe, to a company designing and manufacturing and marketing its own chips all in one nice, neat, tidy little package. The capital intensity to design and manufacture these chips is uh, an order of magnitude less than the highest end processors and GPUs out there. And so you end up with a company that has uh, very healthy profit margins, and also a renewed trajectory of growth. Again, as secular trends kick in for the industrial market and the automotive market, specifically EVs on semi, a leader in silicon carbide chips, they are pushing for $1 billion in sales or more in silicon carbide in 2023 and ramping up that production uh, quite aggressively beyond striking new deals with their customers, some of those customers even kicking in cash to help On Semi build out its manufacturing capabilities. Uh, that is a fantastic business model. We think On Semi has a lot of runway ahead of it, not just for sales growth, but also runway ahead of it to increase its profit margins and then return cash to shareholders via things like stock buybacks. We love the management team. We were invested and Cypress Semiconductor, that's where the current CEO and CFO came from after it was acquired by Infineon in early 2020. We think that management team now at On Semi, Hussein Okori, the CEO, and Thad Trent, the CFO, are doing a great job. This could be a great long-term buy and hold opportunity. The third chip fab stock that I think is interesting and worth a look, this one perhaps more of a small speculative bet, but Skywater Technology. I wrote an article on this back in March, calling it out as a company to, at the very least, watch. And if you want to invest in it, I can't emphasize this enough. This is a small cap stock. This should be a very, very small bet, one that you invest a very, very tiny amount of your money into. And if you like it and 
the story continues to play out positively, let it grow as a bigger part of your portfolio naturally over time. Maybe if it, you think it's an especially good story, implementing a dollar cost average plan so that you're making very small purchases once a month or once a quarter or something like that. But Skywater Technology, a US-based chip fab, historically it has had key business agreements with the US Department of Defense, specifically working on what it calls rad-hard chip technology, radiation-hardened chip technology. So a lot of this stuff getting applied to the space economy. Skywater technology, kind of an interesting ancillary bet on this, the 21st century space race, the resumption of the space race. But some of the same technology has great application in things like the electrification of everything, EVs, applications and communications, radar and such. They have a unique business model. Not only do they have a small silicon wafer fab division, but they also have this technology platform, basically where they strike technology agreements with partners to develop new chip technology. Then that later goes to Skywater's own fabs, the main one based in Minnesota, and then they have a packaging facility that is newer and still ramping up in Florida. This is a very small business, but it's interesting that they have this unique business model where they have basically an R&D department, that's the bulk of revenue today, a smaller wafer fab department, but a lot of potential here if the company continues to pick up new customers and those new customers ramp up their next-gen chip design work. Skywater technology could have a lot to benefit. Now, this is a, not only just a very small business, uh, there's an additional risk here, and it's that the company is so small that it currently generates a net loss. Now, the company is making great strides towards break-even, and within the next couple of years could be profitable on all fronts, but in the time being, uh, the company is going to continue to need funding both from its partners, probably some CHIPS Act funding as well. That's why I really emphasize the fact that this should be a small bet if you make a bet on it at all. This is a speculative play versus a company that is well-established and is already generating business in a sustainable manner. At any rate, Skywater Technology, ticker symbol SKYT, SkyT, interesting stock to at the very least keep on your radar. We'll likely have some more updates on that US-based chip fab company in the coming months. Now, one last point here, I promised that I would explain what would move me off the sideline and begin investing in Intel. Nothing's really changed. Like I have said in the past, I think what would really move us off the sideline here at Chip Stock Investor is if Intel really went the whole distance and split into. The manufacturing business is a mess right now. There is a lot of work ahead of it, but those actual business, individual chip business units, the independent chip design business has a lot of potential today. It's profitable if it were its own independent business. And if it does catch up in chip design technology to some of its peers, there is massive potential for, for this company to take off. So that's basically what we're looking for at this point. Intel basically dropped a big hint that 
At some point in the future, yes, they might actually finally be willing to split in two. I don't think that's going to happen yet, though. I think they're going to wait until the manufacturing business recovers a bit, kind of as the old investment saying goes, you don't want to sell low, you want to sell high. If they sold off the manufacturing business right now, they would definitely be selling at a low point. So that's what we're waiting for. I think at some point, though, once manufacturing has at least stabilized a bit, Intel could split in two. And we would love to invest specifically in the chip design side of the business. In the meantime, we think the bulk of investor attention should be on those chip manufacturers that are healthy and growing right now. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing, TSM, Global Foundries, ticker symbol GFS. We like ON Semiconductor, ticker symbol ON. And that interesting little speculative bet, Skywater Technology, SkyT. Thanks everyone for watching. We really appreciate it. We appreciate all your support. If you're not subscribed yet, hit the subscribe button. We hope that we're providing you valuable insight here at Chipstock Investor. You can also find the link below in the description to our coffee account if you'd like to help fund our coffee addiction, which ultimately fuels the creation of these videos. Yes, we are a caffeine-driven research outfit here. Thanks again. We've got more stuff coming for you soon. Take care, everyone.